you are tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by MND Safety, a global leader in avalanche hazard management, and our good friends at Ten Barrel Brewing. Drink beer outside, with additional support from Interwest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Well, the time is here, everybody. I've been promising it, and here it is. We're going to get a glimpse into the European avalanche community uh, through our contributor from across the pond, Matthias Valker. Matthias, thanks so much for reaching out to the Avalanche Hour podcast and and wanting to contribute uh, uh, to the community here. Matthias is going to introduce us to the Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches, which is a relatively new organization in in Austria. Um, And they're going to talk a bit about what they are all about. A couple of housekeeping things right off the bat. Before we get into the interview, we're giving away another one of the El Profesional uh, snow saws from Primo Snow and Avalanche. And all you have to do to get entered to win that snow saw is tag us in a social media post. So just tag at the Avalanche Hour podcast and you'll be entered to win. And this giveaway is going to be running through uh, the middle of March. So we'll announce the winner in a month on March 15th. Another thing we'd love for y'all to take part in is take part in a survey that's going on. Good friend Kelly McNeil has a survey out right now. It's called Reading Avalanche Center Forecasts. And the purpose of this survey is to gain a better understanding of how backcountry travelers use the avalanche forecast. Um, It is a bit similar to some other studies that have been done Within the last couple years, notably, um, and St. Clair's research with with others, I should add, um, uh, trying to better understand how people are using the Avalanche Bulletin. Uh, Kelly's survey is geared even more, a little bit more specifically, to how people are using the forecast for Type 2 Avalanche centers, which may not put out a bulletin every day. Um, so. We're trying to gain a better understanding so we can put out a better uh, Avalanche Bulletin product to the recreating public. So you'll see, if you go to the show notes, you'll see a link in the show notes. Super easy to get to there. Just click on that link. The survey will take about 10 minutes and it is anonymous. We really appreciate your support and your participation in filling out this survey. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into... Matthias's interview here. Yeah, thank you, Caleb, and uh, welcome to the first European episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast, which is brought to you by the Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. My name is Matthias Walcher, and I am your host for today's episode. A few words about myself. 
I'm an Italian citizen currently living and working in Austria. I studied mountain risk engineering in Vienna and at the SFU in BC, Canada, and I'm involved in the snow and avalanche world in many different ways. I wrote my master thesis on the risks involved in mechanized skiing in Canada, worked for a couple of avalanche warning services in Europe, was engaged um, with some heli skiing companies in South America and Canada, and, and now, besides some other things, employed by the Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. Yeah, and I recently got in contact with Caleb and uh, we came up with the idea to make this podcast even more international and include the European avalanche community and its views to make this even a more community-based podcast. And this is the start of this hopefully long-lasting and fruitful project. But let's not make this introduction too long. Today we are talking about the organization who acts as the voice of the European avalanche community in this podcast, the Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. So this introduction episode aims at introducing the avalanche community dealing with avalanches on the other side of the Atlantic. And by the way, for most Europeans, and this is especially true for people living in the Alps, English is not their mother tongue. So I hope that in every episode, there will be at least one or two bloopers that will keep you entertained. Today, our guests are both very much engaged in the European avalanche community and uh, are the vice president and the president of the Austrian Association. Hi, Chris and JT. I would be pleased if you could introduce yourself, Chris. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Chris Mitterer. I'm currently working as an avalanche forecaster with the Avalanche Forecasting Center in Innsbruck, Tyrol. Uh, I have a background in geography and in uh, soil physics. Uh, I studied the formation of wet snow avalanches during my PhD thesis, uh, which I made together with Jörg Schweitzer at uh, the SLF, the Institute for Snow an avalanche research in Davos, Switzerland. I then moved uh, to uh, a couple of projects engaged with different warning and forecasting services in Italy, Bavaria, and now in Austria. Hmm. So I, I heard that you were on duty this week for writing the avalanche bulletin. And uh, I think this this uh, season has been quite challenging for you forecasters. Uh, you, we had a lot of snow in the beginning coming from the south and now also from the north. Uh, what are the challenges you encountered this season or, or at the moment especially? Yeah, Matthias, yeah, that's true. Been pretty dynamic week uh, with uh, lots of fresh snow, first hammering from the southern side of the Alps and now since a couple of hours heavy precipitations from the northwestern part of the Alps. Uh, I think the most challenging part was uh, in this week uh, that we had different uh, masses of cold and warm air involved within that precipitation cycles. So constantly changing from snow to rain to snow again with uh, some uh, deep persistent weak layers combined. So 
pretty complex com combination with some interesting avalanche cycles. The, for example, two weeks ago, we had two, three days after a big storm uh, with, uh, with a period of high release probability. It was very, very touchy. Uh -huh. And, and uh, here in Austria, since uh, a couple of, of seasons, I think, uh, you, you have this um, danger level four for the skier and uh, the avalanche the avalanche bulletin here in Tyrol or in the Alps generally is also for the the, the transportation services to to uh, have an indication on whether uh, they should close or uh, uh, leave the, the the infrastructure open um, is that something new you use or is it just a different way of communicating the danger to the skier Yeah, that, that's true. So uh, in, in Europe and especially in the Alps, our product, the, the Avalanche Forecast, the Avalanche Bulletin, has two major user groups. One group is the recreational group, so backcountry skiers. And the other group is the guys uh, making uh, avalanche uh, risk decisions for uh, infrastructure. So that's... Uh, mountain villages, uh, roads, railroads, etc. And I think that in the, in the last few years, we, we came back a little bit more to, to our roots. Uh, so we, we judge avalanche release probability more from uh, a spontaneous part and from, from a triggering part. And if we have high probability of avalanche triggering, Because of skiers, we use pretty much the same terminology as we use for sp spontaneous releases. So that's true. We maybe issue a, a little bit more danger level four in the past few years, but I think this is kind of a return to, to the proper routes. So what do you say is that a couple of years ago, there was more emphasis on the size of the avalanches, whereas now the emphasis is more on how easy is it to trigger an avalanche which is uh, dangerous to to a person basically yeah that's correct yeah mm -hmm. before okay. uh, that the danger level four was highly connected to uh, spontaneous activity and now we shifted that a little bit to uh, give more room to high likelihood of triggering by persons or explosives mm -hmm. thanks chris JT. Yeah, nice to be here. Our president. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, maybe short introduction. My name is uh, Jan Thomas Fischer, also called uh, JT. I'm currently acting as the president of the Öxel, which is the shortcut for the Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. It's the O with two dots to just make it easy. And uh, how do I end up in the world of snow and avalanches? My work starts when snow starts moving. So I'm a little bit on the other side. I'm on the side of avalanche dynamics, everything that is going down. How far does it go? Where does it go? And I'm working for the Austrian uh, Research Center for Forests. And I'm also involved in uh, some academic education programs for snow and avalanches. This is uh, what I'm usually working on. And at the moment, we run different research projects on snow and avalanches here and there. What would you say is the most 
interesting project you're currently working on? So uh, one of the nice and uh, really exciting projects we got at the moment. Uh, I don't know if you ever seen the movie Twister throwing balls into storms. We now do the same and throw the balls into the avalanche, putting a couple of sensors in them and actually doing inflow measurements. So we check how the movement works, what kind of temperature. People have tried this before. It's a little bit challenging to have a proper setup and it's challenging to get the data out of the sensors. And this is probably the most exciting one we're working on right now. Huh. I, I remember you had that uh, that research, which is uh, very much connected to the one you just told us about, that uh, you, you measured snow temperatures and you, um, you found out that it, a temperature of minus one degree Celsius is needed, that in an avalanche, the snowballs are formed, mm -hmm. right? Like this, these, uh, how would you call them? Granules. Granules. Like snow, yeah, aggregates of, of snow. This, this actually already a lot of other people did, like in the before the 90s in Japan, uh, snow tumblers okay. were, were in experiments and in the last decade in Davos, there was big research on it. And actually the, the interesting part we found out now, also in a bigger snow tumbler in the laboratory, is that the air is actually able, or the air temperature is able to prevent this process. So if it's really, 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 really cold outside, let's say, well, not even that cold, but minus 10 or something, you will never be able to form granules. And this is probably also something that is preventing flow regime transitions and maybe an explanation why sometimes powder snow avalanches go way further than if they transition into a rather warm plug flow or something like this. So even, even though when like the avalanche, uh, there is a lot of friction when it moves downwards, right? There's a lot of energy which, uh, which leads to temperature incline of the snow, which is avalanching down the slope. So even if that snow reaches minus one degree Celsius, it's not granulating. So this is a cool bit. Usually we only think about it's getting warm and warm and warm. And like we have friction, there's different processes producing heat. But the interesting part is that there's also the counter process, which is cooling, for example, with air, because usually you also only think about snow as snow. But to be completely honest, snow is a lot of air. And when an avalanche is moving, you get even more air into the snow. Mm -hmm. And this cooling process prevents the snow from getting to the point of rising above minus one degree. And so you never get the temperature to go, actually be able to form granules. Okay, I understand. There's, there's one thing which comes in my mind in, uh, in, in my education, early education and uh, and like doing snow profiles, I was uh, <clears throat> I was told that when you feel a snow layer and it you can form a snowball from it, you call it moist, right? But mm -hmm. if the snow would be moist, it would be around zero degrees Celsius. But uh, mm -hmm. in, I have experienced that this is not always the case. That you can form a snowball, but the snow is is still below zero. So why is that? So you're right. Like you always need isothermic conditions to have zero degrees and have a little bit of moist snow. But 
snow is always a mixture so you also there's no minus one degree threshold before it there's no granulation and after this everything is granulating because there's a lot of air and depending where you measure sometimes it's a little bit hotter sometimes it's a little bit cooler and the counter process of sintering so when snow starts gluing together this is also not happening everywhere this is only happening at really really small connections and the same yields for melting so if you put pressure on the snow, you might have in the microstructure, you have pressure. Pressure, again, leads to heat. Heat might lead to temperatures that are around zero degrees at really specific little points. And then you can have melting and then you can have a, a little bit of a snowball. Doesn't hmm. need to be the whole snow needs to be uh, zero degrees. This is hmm. not the case. Yeah. Cool. Very nice insights. And uh, JT, you have actually, or both of you, have been among the founders of the Austrian, Asso Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. So why did this idea come up? So uh, the Excel, the as most of the ideas or a lot of the good ideas you have in life, came along while drinking a couple of beers and discussing <laughs> with friends about snow. Because we are like, um, one special thing we have or one special situation that we have in Austria is that we have a lot of different smaller organizations that work at a very high level, but specifically in a small part of snow and avalanche research, application, even into guiding. So there's a lot of different small groups that have specific needs in a certain part of snow and avalanches. But the facilitation of exchange, of talking together, this was something that we felt was, besides having beers uh, together and talking about it, was a little bit, we felt we need a little bit more of exchange. Besides only having beers and meeting with five friends, we wanted to make it a little bit more formal and also have other people uh, in this circle of talking about snow and avalanches because... We found it's really interesting what all the specific people do, but there was rather no chance to exchange the information. Mm -hmm. So you, you founded that uh, association two and a half years ago now, right? During the ISSW in, in Innsbruck. Chris, how, how, did that, how did it evolve? Like, uh, how did it start? And, and uh, yeah, what, what happened in these two years since its existence? So yeah, as JT explained, it started with a couple of beers, that's true, but it evolved very fast to um, a large number of so-called lunchback seminars. We started to organize a few talks during lunch break, and it was actually quite, quite cool to see that there was a real need for those uh, seminars where we kind of could exchange a little bit and and uh, this exchange very fast became very broad and uh, at a certain point we said uh, we have to to make that a little bit more serious and put that from a couple of beers onto some on a serious base and we took the opportunity of the ISSW in Innsbruck to found that association and from that on, I think uh, we continuously evolved. So those uh, lunchback seminars, they are uh, a component which is uh, 
regularly held in Innsbruck. Uh, since the COVID-19 situation, it's even, it's even done virtually uh, with a high variety of different topics. Uh, I had a look at all topics we, we had last year. It's ranging from very practical issues of how, uh, how to do some, some mitigation works uh, for local or specific slopes to highly theoretical uh, issues about the snow mechanics or, or meteorology. Mm -hmm. And besides these events, what are other Excel projects which are currently running, Chris? There are a few, a uh, few nice projects currently running. So uh, one project I'm really proud of is that we could establish a young snow professional award, where we can kind of help young snow professionals to reach out to uh, the international community. Uh, in this case, we could pay the conference fee and part of travel expenses to one student for the ISSW in Fernie. That was cheap. <laughs> that was cheap until now, but it's getting more expensive in a couple of months, hopefully. Uh, we are planning to send two students to that conference in order to uh, transport the uh, new research and practices from uh, the European Alps to the international community. So that is one, one thing I'm really proud of. Certainly very important support for young people who want to become part of the international avalanche community. Another project of the UXL deals with recording standards for weather, snowpack and, and avalanches, very similar to the ogres uh, or swags in North America. Do no guidelines of this kind exist here in Austria so far, JT? Yeah, we actually we actually call it the slabs, <laughs> which apparently in German, if you look at the long name, if you check out the uh, the web page, uh, you're gonna see in German it even makes sense. Um, no, we don't have we don't have standards like this. We which is also not correct. We actually have them, but we have them spe specialized for specific applications. So uh, while the one group like mountain guides specifically teach certain techniques, there might be the um, avalanche warning services that uh, do it a little bit differently. And also just to facilitate uh, the exchange of information and uh, uh, the exchange, not only of the information, but only the, the results of a stability test or something like this. Sometimes it makes it way easier if you have a completely standardized way. And mm -hmm. this would be something that we could also work towards too. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it makes also a lot of sense uh, from my understanding. And and it's, uh, I mean, we have all these these high specialized organizations which uh, do quite a good job and are uh, recognized worldwide. And on the other hand, it is surprising that it, it took us so long to found such an association, right? Because in, in, in America or in the USA and in Canada, uh, they have been founded 35 and, and, and 40 years ago almost. So why is it that we are so late? <laughs> I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't put it late. I would put it different. All the, all the different groups that needed to solve their specific problems were pretty successful in, in doing so. 
but uh, what is maybe missing at the same time you can you know you like if you have a avalanche rescue scenario and you have a really good probe and you know how to use this probe and you have a person that really knows how to use it you're going to be very successful but also just having one probe doesn't actually supplement having an umbrella of probes when you have a different search scenario where you have to exchange information or something like this. So while we were probably really good and having single people that were very good at probing, we didn't have a common technique how to do it together, maybe to translate it a little bit. And this would be a little bit what we would like to try and to establish. So Chris, what will be the tasks of our Austrian association in the future and uh, what do you think are the challenges we are facing? I think that the tasks are pretty similar to uh, to what the associations in North America have done pretty good in, in the last decades. So we need also here some, some standards or some recommendations that can be followed by all different highly specialized organizations and institutions. Or maybe there are some new institutions which want to kind of borrow some ideas from the snow and avalanche community. But as always in Europe, we have also some history behind that. So we have to kind of combine that standardized way with the historical facts of, of different good solutions for uh, maybe more specific uh, tasks or, or, or questions. And I think that's one of the main challenges of, of our association to kind of melt down these different uh, approaches to one commonly accepted standard, especially with, within the professional world here in Europe. Mm -hmm. Another point could be that uh, if, you, if you look at the, the size of all specific organizations, uh, since we are densely populated and we have a lot of people that actually work somewhere in the field, all the small organizations are already big enough to survive themselves and to fulfill their own needs. So maybe in North America, where everything is a little bit more widespread, there's right away the need to put the people that work on it together this need, I think, was never really apparent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's uh, enough of introduction of, of, uh, of our association. And to finalize this, this uh, nice talk to you, Chris and JT, is there maybe something you want to share with us from your pool of experience that you, um, that you found especially helpful in your career or, or something you have learned as the result of an error or a misjudgment or simply from your own research, uh, JT, you conducted in the past, something you want to, to tell us and... Uh... <laughs> one, one of the, just to reflect on what we are talking about now, I would probably say go to the ISSW uh, because this is where uh, pretty much my, my, this was one of my entry points into the world of snow and avalanches. And also the Oxel is uh, carrying or trying to carry this spirit of exchange of information, of the combination of theory and practice. And uh, so I would say if, if I have a tip, if I have something that you should do, then I think you should go there. <laughs> uh, Chris, what about, what about you? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, actually, I have two things. First is very similar to JT's uh, thoughts. Uh, 
I think the saying, the mer merging of theory and practice is something which is very, very true in the snow and avalanche world. I think it's not possible to live only theory in, in that community without practice. You, you, not, you need to put your nose into the snow in order to really feel what you are thinking maybe about. So, uh, and, and I really appreciate this combination. And that's why I'm also working currently at the edge of, of theory and practice. So, or why I really love to spend my, my days at the ISSW because you learn something new about theory, but you also got in touch with the problems of practitioners and maybe that encouraged you to think new ideas or new theory. And on the other side, the second thing is I'm still learning. And that's the cool thing with snow and avalanches. You, you learn every day, only today. When I was uh, writing the forecast, I, I learned a lot about uncertainty in uh, the prediction of uh, the snow amount for the next 24 hours. And, and uh, I, I can learn every day new cool things. Um, even in the next 10 to 20 years. And that's what's inspiring. Yeah. It's really inspiring. Yeah. I think, I think that's uh, why we all like the, the job we are doing in this, in this community. And, uh, and as you said, like networking is, uh, you can learn so much from, from everyone talking, working in the different fields. And I think that's also uh a nice benefit of a podcast like this uh, where we can talk to each other and, and, and learn from each other. Thank you both for your, for your time and, and the nice chat. Yeah, thanks and for having Thank you, Matthias. Thanks also to you listeners. Uh, I hope it was somewhat interesting for you. And before you take your headphones off, if you have any topics you would like to hear on our European episode, or if there is any European expert you would like to being interviewed, Send us a message on podcast at AASA, as in Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches.at. That's podcast at AASA.at. Thanks and back to Caleb. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that contribution from Matthias. Thanks again, Matthias, for your for your willingness to jump on board here. And if anybody has any ideas for interviews that they want to hear from your, the European community, again, reach out to Matthias, and he'll do his best to line those up. We hope you're appreciating and and gaining some knowledge and insight. Um, and wisdom from the Avalanche Hour podcast. And if you are, if you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend. If you're really enjoying the show, go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us on that platform. It does help to get that feedback. And if you want to send some more personal feedback, of course, you can email us at the Avalanche Hour Podcast at gmail.com. We do really appreciate hearing from all of you. Our artwork was created by Mike T. You demand T. Thanks so much for your contribution to the podcast. If you're in need of any type of illustration or graphic design work, you need to go check out T's website 
That's MikeT.com, and he can hook you up with some great artwork. Our theme music for the podcast was written and performed by Chris Kaplinski. Chris, thanks so much for your contribution. Enjoying your beats, man. You can find us on the socials. We're reluctantly at the Avalanche Hour podcast. And don't forget to tag us in a social media post uh, between now and March 15th for your chance to enter a brand new El Profesional Snow Saw from Primo Snow and Avalanche. And a big thanks to all the sponsors of the podcast. That's MND Safety, 10 Barrel Brewing, and Interwest Insurance. We couldn't do it without you, and we do greatly appreciate your continued support. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there. Cheers. Cheers.